So this Leela of Krishna is like that. It is carefree. Krishna's, the, the, the acme of that uh, life of Krishna as it, as it appears to the mystics, recorded in the poetry of the Bhagwat and so forth, is this dance with the gopis in, 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 the, in the full moon night of the harvest moon, the love moon. And as I say, Cupid came, but he was defeated. Kambijai. Lust was defeated. Therefore, the conclusion of that, those five chapters, the mystic Sukadev, who spoke it, not an ordinary person, what did he say? Bikriditam vrajabadubir idam chavishnu shradhanbitanu shunayad atlavarnayatya vaktim param bhagavati pratilabdhikamam hridrogam ashvapahinoti achirena dhira. He told this story this Leela, to a king. Now, a king is generally accustomed to worldliness. But this king was had renounced his worldliness. He wanted to get on with something more meaningful. So he met the mystic Sukadev, which was, who was only a young lad, who had renounced the world, and he told this story of Krishna's meeting with the milkmaids. At the end of the story, the king said, this is an incredible story, but it's a little hard to understand this Krishna is meeting with go- these young milkmaidens, and you know earlier on when you were speaking philosophy, you said we shouldn't milk- meet with milkmaidens, and this was a problem. And, and here now we're getting to the conclusion, and the object of uh, of our pursuit, God, that you're talking about in other ways, was so dignified and high, and and by th- by thinking of God and pursuing God, we would leave behind the world of sensual pursuit and bring out the dignity of the soul and. Now we're getting to like a picture of this, this ideal, this Godhead, and, and the one you described is compelling and interesting, but it's a little confusing. He is dancing with milk maidens, and it seems like we're back to square one here. He's, he's kind of confused. How can it be? So, Sukadev said, he said, you should understand, Vikriditam Brajavadubiridam Javishnu. I spoke to you previously using the word Vishnu. Vishnu means God, all-pervasive. Now, in this story, I've called him Krishna. But don't think Krishna is different from Vishnu. First understand, this Krishna who's dancing is God. So first get that straight. God can do things other people cannot. It may look like one thing, but it's really something quite different. It's love, as I said earlier, concealing itself. And if you pay very close attention, you can enter into that dimension. You can enter into that love play of God. You can enter into a relationship with God in such a way that God will forget that he's God and appear just as your lover, just as your friend. And because the affair will be selfless on both parts, God fully giving to you, you fully giving to God, there's no concomitant uh, distress factor. If I accept your mind and you accept my mind, while you stay in your body and I stay in mine, we won't have any problems getting along with one another. Something like that. These gopis, it is said that they derive great spiritual ecstasy from their affair with Krishna. But the only reason that they're interested in it is because it pleases Krishna to see them happy. Otherwise, they're not interested in that even. 
They just want to serve. That's all. They only want to serve and give. So he said, first of all, understand this is about God. This affair of Krishna with these damsels, this is, this is, he's God. And I want to tell you something else, he said. Shadhanvita, if with great faith, Anu Srinu, you hear in a particular way, and then if you describe these things, having heard in a particular way, the result will be that hridrogam kamam, that kama, desire, lust, that is the hridrogam, the disease of the heart, it's a heart condition that we all suffer from, that will be removed entirely. Love will come in your heart, real love for God. Why is that real love, love for God? Because if you love God, you can love everyone and everything. If you only love your son, well, then you can't love somebody else's son to that extent, right? If you only love your wife, your husband, your partner, well, then you can't love everybody the same way. You might even not like somebody. I love him, but I don't love him. So this, this, is, this is the realm of the senses, you see, and the mind. But love of God, that is another thing. If we love a God, in the context of loving God, to arrive at love of God, many, many, many things will have to be understood. It's not just a sentiment, I love God. I love God. No. Who is God? What is God? What is the world? What am I? All these questions will be answered in the context of cultivating love of God. When you get that love of God, then you become a universal lover. You love everyone, everything, because you can see everything for what it is. You see, oh, that person is not that body. Just like I've given an example before. If a young boy sees a young girl, he will love her in a particular way. If a tiger sees a young girl, he will also love her <laughs> in a particular way. If a sadhu, a saint, sees a young girl, he will love her also but in a different way. We want to see through the eyes of a saint. The young boy's love is better than the tiger's, we will think. <laughs> and the sadhu, the saint's love, is better than the young boy's, by far. So yes, he's a lover, but how much understanding is under, in, the, in, the, in the foundation of that love? How much knowledge and insight? You see, love of God is not just a sentiment. It's full of wisdom. It's self-realization. It's transcending the mind, transcending the senses, transcending the intellect. And the disciplines that are involved in that, it's the culmination. A very high thing. Therefore, Bhagavatam says, if you want to understand this love of God that's, de that's depicted in the Leela of Krishna with the gopis, you have to pay very close attention, study this book very carefully under good guidance, again and again and again and again. And the things that we are stressing tonight, in today's talk, tonight's talk, which are in a sense very basic. You know, the previous talk I gave here just last month, after the talk, one of the, one of the attendees said, you know, when you read that verse, I thought, oh, he's going to talk about that verse. It's such a, you know, low verse. 
But I was glad to see, he said, that you talked about so many nice, in such a nice way, and so many higher topics were touched. Today's verse is lower than that one, really, that we're talking about. Hmm? <laughs> we should be able to talk about the lowest verses in the highest way. There are no low verses. They're all important for us. We should not shy away from the lower verses. We have to digest them to really understand the higher verses. Those verses describing Krishna's dalliance with the gopis, they're very high, and there are commentaries on that that are very high. To understand that, you have to go there. Those are people who went there talking about it, who say very loudly, words cannot describe what this experience is, but I'm trying. I'm trying to speak about it. If I'm to speak about it, I'll speak about it in poetry, in song. Give some semblance of uh, what it's about. It's beyond thinking. You think that you, because you think you can know. (laughs) No. You consider tonight and think, I don't believe the thing that Swami is saying, and you may go home knowing more than you could ever have arrived at by thinking. You may wake up some morning, something inside, he put something inside of me. He had some, I didn't believe him, but he had some, I felt he cared about me, something, something was put inside my heart. And later you think, oh, that's where it came from. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Suddenly it make, you find yourself interested in spiritual life, like you weren't before. They put it all together. The love of God, a very high thing. To get there, we have to go through so many stages. We should be prepared to hear the lower verses. We should be prepared to hear what is lust. You're driving me here and there. And I know so many ways I will rationalize that, even as a spiritual practitioner. I think. Guru Maharaj wants us to be normal people, not that we'll be appear to appear as strange people. <coughs> Therefore, I will keep all my past associations and all my past habits, because that's normal life. People will think I'm normal. This way, they, they, they'll be interested in, in what Guru Maharaj talks about. <laughs> they may go ahead of you. <laughs> what about you? <laughs> Sukadev told the king when he said, this is a very wonderful thing. He said, this affair is so different than what it looks like that if you hear about it, lust will leave your heart forever and you'll get love of God. But he said another thing there. He said in Sanskrit language, he said it in a very interesting way. He said, Shradhanvita shunu anu. Shunu. Shradhanvita. Shradha means faith. So if you hear about this with faith, but it means Shradhanvita, means very deep faith. In our tradition, Participation in this begins, formal participation begins with faith. When it suddenly dawns upon me, somehow or other, mystically, that this is it. That all of my interests, everything I want in life, really, what I really want, what I really want to be happy, to find fulfillment can be had in pursuing this, when that dawns on, that's called, we call that shraddha. There's some things that happen before that in order to bring that about. We call that agyata sukriti and gata sukriti. Nice terms. So it means, agya means unknowing. And gya means knowing. Sukriti means like 
I do something, it's a good thing, but I don't know what it is, but I did it anyway. Because it's a good thing, you get a result. And Gatha means I do a good thing with some knowledge that it's a good thing, and I get a result. Let me give you an example. This is a classic example. A brahmachari, brahmachari means like a celibate student, goes out to beg alms on behalf of the ashram and the guru, so the guru can print a book, help the people, goes door to door. He comes to one door and a man's having a fight. This is an idiot. This example. man's having a fight with his wife. Brahmachari comes and says, Can you give anything for the ashram and the Gurudev? You come at this time. Here. And they used to keep fires burning always in the house. So he took some ashes and throws ashes in his glove. Ashes, get out of here. So Brahmachari takes the ashes and he thinks, Well, you know, you go door to door, you, you learn humility. <laughs> We're going here, begging on behalf of our Guru for the sake of the people. And we have to tolerate. Sometimes people are uh, like this. We have to develop humility. So he takes those ashes, he goes home, and he thinks, how can I use these ashes in some way that for that person's benefit? So then he thinks, oh, I take the ashes, and you know you can polish brass with ashes. You polish the, the brass and it will shine. So he took the, the, the brass paraphernalia that's used in the worship on the altar, like the bell, and the plate and things like that. He polished them. While he's polishing that, that man, unknowingly, he gave ashes. But unknowingly, that what he gave, those ashes are being used in the service of Krishna. Oh, sometime later, Brahmachari comes back around. Yeah, there's only so many houses, you've got to go a couple times. So <laughs> he comes to the same house. Oh, he, and that man's heart had changed. He saw that Brahmacharya. Oh, I threw ashes at you before. I thought about it. It dawned on what I've done. And such a, and I, where I would find you, I didn't know. Now you've come back. Tell me about your ashram. Tell me about your guru. So then he tells him about the guru. He starts coming to the ashram. He starts hearing the philosophy. He gives a donation. He thinks, it's a good thing. I should support it. It's a good thing. There are other things that are good too. Now he's gone from agyata sukriti to gyata sukriti. With some knowledge, he's participating. And because he hears from that guru, he gets proper knowledge. We call it sambandha Knowledge of what's what. What's the body? What's the soul? What is God? What's the world? What's the relationship between all these things? This sambandha. He gets this sambandha. He starts to come. And he gets shraddha, faith. It dawns on him. This is home. Like that. He becomes speechless. The very thing I offended, and here it is, it is a solution to all my problems. All my fulfillment can be found here. So formally he embarks upon the path. This is called Shraddha. But this Shraddha is, it develops gradually. Shraddha means faith, and faith means that doubts are removed. Right? If you have faith, then you don't have doubt. Doubt is a problem, it's a confusion. And if you have doubt, suspicion, there is suspension. So as doubt becomes removed, then he becomes free. The homeland of the soul is without doubt. It's a land of faith. Faith is a tangible reality. It's not just a concept. When faith is full, not just beginning, komal, komal means tender faith. When faith is full and ripe, some actual experience from that land of faith 
is mine. I have my own experience. We call it ruchi. Ruchi. That the sadhaka, the practitioner, has some taste. Faith is full. Faith is, is fixed. More than fixed. Fixed means it's, it's fixed with intellect. I come because I have some, get some faith because someone's got it. And they're moving by that faith. And so it's contagious. I get enthusiastic. I like that company. You know, I didn't understand all that, but I'll go again. I like the chanting. People were nice. And yeah. So some faith. And, and I, I believe it. I like it. But all that theory, that stuff, that's a 600-page book he's talking. I, I can't get into all that. So you're involved, but your faith is komal, tender. But as you keep hearing, you realize, I've got to go through those 600 pages. I've got to understand this. I've got to hear better. And, uh, and I get this sambandha, this, this proper understanding. Then that fuels my practice. Then my chanting has more meaning. It's done with, with consciousness and understanding, deep understanding, theoretical understanding. That theoretical understanding fuels my practice so that it becomes more serious and concentrated and so forth. This way my faith is, is being tempered by my reason also and scriptural insight and as the practice becomes fixed I won't budge from this I'm convinced then from nishta ruchi taste comes taste comes you, you have now on the you've got something positive then logic you have a logic of your own logic of taste the logic that comes from the taste then you can you can never be defeated <laughs> <laughs> you come up with your own logic, answer for everything, any challenge. Hmm? You're driven by, not by intellect, but by taste. This is the full, now, uh, Shraddha has come full circle. This Shraddha, Shraddhandita, if you hear properly from Guru Parampara, from the Guru, the Siddhartha succession, properly, and get all this Sambandagyan, then you understand why just hearing about Radha and Krishna's love, this calm problem will be resolved altogether. Krishna is calm, Dev. Krishna is Madan Mohan. Jayatam surato pangor gati padam bojo padam bojo Radha Madan Mohano. Madan Mohan means Madan means Cupid. Mohan means bewilder. Who bewilders Cupid? Who can bewilder Cupid? This is Krishna. This is Kamdev, Madan Mohan. Madan Mohan is the deity over some, that presides over Sambandagyan, that proper conceptual orientation to life. means if you want to know Kamdev, Krishna, Madan Mohan, you have to take that Sambandagyan. You have to get some divasya tattva, we said earlier, jignasu. You have to inquire about the truth of life. You have to make in, serious inquiry. You have to use your intelligence properly, not be used by it. Use it to serve the soul's interest. So yes, just hearing about Radha and Krishna Lila. But with faith, derived from Guru Parampara. And if you hear about Radha and Krishna Lila from Guru Parampara, you'll be hearing all these other things. You'll be hearing about calm, lust, and how it's a problem. And how to deal with that in the context of hearing about Krishna Lila. You will hear why, as I say, just hearing about Krishna's love with the gopis all problems will be solved. Because why is, who is Krishna? What does that Leela really mean? What is the significance of it? 
all those things that are the underpinning, if you will, of love of God, that canvas on which the art of love of God manifests, you will be on the canvas. That's called Advaigyantattva, non-dual consciousness, knowledge beyond duality of good and bad, happy and sad, all of which are the dictates of the mind. You think it's good. He thinks it's bad. Which is it? You think it's happy? She thinks it's sad. Which is it? Those are all the dictates of the mind only in the senses. To go beyond that, the small world of the mind. That Krishna Leela is playing there, that theater. Theater of the purified heart. Not one cluttered with calm, material desire. An idea is born in the mind that pursuing, I think, will make me happy. No. So we should hear about Krishna, hear from the right sources, and then we'll hear appropriately all these things and know how to progress step by step by step to eradicate the problem of desire and enter into the world of, if you will, uh, Krishna's desire, hmm? become instruments uh, by which the Absolute experiences itself as joy in many, many ways, again and again and again, eternally. So this is the basic idea of Krishna consciousness. And to conclude, there's a nice verse. A nice verse from Govinda Lilamrita. Because we've said that Krishna is Madan Mohan, conqueror of Cupid. But our emphasis should be more than on Krishna, on it should be on love of Krishna. Krishna has a parrot, and that parrot said, Oh, Chittahari sa sharike. Krishna's parrot is speaking to Radha's parrot, female parrot. No, no, that's Krishna's Dhari. Krishna plays the flute, and he steals the minds of all, all ladies. Chittahari steals away their, their hearts. Bihadi, Gopi, Naribi. Especially, he says, the minds and the hearts of the Gopis, the milkmaidens. He steals them away. Jiyan Madana Mohana. Glories to that Madan Mohan. Male parrot says. Female parrot says, well, yeah, that's good. But I have a comment to make. Radha Sange Yadhabhati. Tada Madana Mohana. Actually, she said, when Krishna, Radha Sange, is standing next to Radha, tada, at that time, he's Madana Mohana. <laughs> at that time, he conquers Cupid. Anyata Vishvamohopi. Otherwise, in general, it's true, he bewilders all people, but Swayam, Madana Mohitaha. He himself is bewildered when he's not when he's by himself, out of love for Radha. So Radha exemplifies that highest ideal of love. If we can embrace the idea of loving Krishna and pursue the kind of selfishness that is the, that is the standard of Braj Bhakti, then all this calm material desire will fade away, calm jai, very quickly. So try to hear about Krishna from the right source. This is my suggestion. Srimad Bhagavad Gita Ki Jai. Any question? Uh, one time, 
when the devotees were being challenged in court, there was a uh, lawyer who picked out a part of the Bhagavad Gita that says that unless a, an activity is done with full knowledge, one doesn't get the result. Actually, in the purport, Prabhupada is pretty specific about that. So I wondered if you could uh, talk about how that's so and how Agatha Sakriti works, how that's different from performing some activity without knowing what it is and not getting a result. Well, I don't think that uh, the, the Bhagavad Gita says without knowledge you won't get any result. But I seem to recall that to the extent that one has knowledge of what one's doing, the result will be greater than the act performed without understanding. So, given that, I don't really fully understand your question because unless unless uh, the answer is just to qualify that, it's not that by acting without knowledge you will not get any result, but you won't get the same result as if you act in knowledge. Whether it be you do the wrong thing in knowledge, you'll get a worse result than if you do the wrong thing without knowledge that it's wrong. Or whether you do the right thing and you don't know that it's good for you, you'll get some result. Whereas if you know what you're doing, you'll get more. And, and we kind of spoke about that in a sense. Agyatasakriti, not unknowingly, somebody does a good thing. You'll get some result. You'll get some, you may come to doing things, doing good things knowingly, and then come to faith. In, with regard to the bhakti tradition, but in the context of of, of cultivating one faith, one's faith, the beginning is to get all this, as I said, sambandhagyan, which then is knowledge that fuels one's action, and and the result from that will be that type of practice, that type of chanting, will tend to be greater than chanting that's done without understanding of what it's about. Once I gave a long philosophical talk like this one, forgive me, but a fellow said, Maharaj, Swami said, whatever happened to just chant and be happy? So I said to him, that's still around, but why don't you just do it? Why don't you just chant? I said, the reason is because you don't understand all these points I'm making, that emphasizing why and from so many angles of vision, uh, get this in your head and orient yourself in this way, then you will just think, yes, I should just chant. And then you can be happy. Then you won't have to think about all these things. In the ultimate end, then, yeah, there is no knowledge. Krishna himself has forgotten who he is. He's overcome by love for, for Radha. He's bewildered. He's the supreme God. And he says, but Radha premer unmad. The prem of Radha makes me mad. I'm Paramananda. Purna Brahma, the supreme ecstasy, the supreme Brahman. But the prema of Radha has made me a mad person, made me crazy. Love of Radha. So, in the end, we end up in a condition like that, almost unknowing. So, from unknowing, kind of a, what a, what a, a Sri Ramarsh once called it, something like um, divine ignorance. Ignorance is bliss, they say. So, does that answer your question? Yeah. You're sure? Well, I'll read you the specific part later. Is it the purport? Or? Yeah. Okay. I don't know if the verse says that. That by. That's it's related to that, but then it's more specific. Anyway. 
you know, there may be a maybe an emphasis sometimes we may emphasize to the point of that it appears like if I say to you, look, if you do something without knowledge, understanding it, then you're not going to get the result. That may be for the sake of emphasis. Whereas, in fact, if it's really a, a good thing, some result will come. So anything else? Other question? Yes. Um, Lord Chaitanya, he said that uh, chanting the holy names of God is the prime benediction for humanity. And hmm. Develop full knowledge, the burning fire of material existence will be extinguished. And I was reading in one book, it's called The Art of Chanting, Hare Krishna, by Maranidhi Swami. And he, made, he has a quote there from the Harinam Chaitamani that says that actually a conditioned soul can't chant the holy name, that it's just a material sound vibration. So it seems to be like a contradiction. It means that because the name of Krishna is liberated, in order to fully appreciate that, one will have to be liberated. So if one is not liberated from material existence, then he cannot fully appreciate and take advantage entirely of Krishna Nam, the name of Krishna. But nonetheless, Krishna Nam is very magnanimous, very merciful and generous. It's a form of the Absolute, the name of Krishna, that's it's exceedingly uh, generous and therefore it nonetheless makes itself on some level available to materially conditioned persons. Therefore, we have different, uh, three different manifestations of the name of Krishna. Namaparad, Namabhas, and Shudhanam. So, people will chant Krishna Nam in the stage of Namaparad, and they in that stage they can get material benefit. They can get material benefits in this life or the next life. But if they chant it with a view to 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 go to a a more profound manifestation of the name, a, a more complete manifestation of the name of Krishna in the stage of Namabhas, then that offensive chanting repeatedly with that in mind will bring one to that second stage. And in that stage, one can get so much knowledge and insight. One can even be, uh, rise above material existence from that. And in the third stage, Shudanam, one can understand entirely that Krishna and his name are non-different and experience the lila, the guna, means the pastime, the form, the qualities of Krishna in the name. While chanting, he or she can experience the, let us say, romantic life of Krishna. So, it's true that the holy name is, is liberated, and unless one's liberated, one cannot fully take advantage of it, but still, the Holy Name is merciful, so it manifests in a form in which people can take advantage of and gradually develop through that chanting to the, to the uh, full experience of the Name. Yes? That drew me to some other thoughts through this, this conversation here. Um, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about intention. Uh, versus the, the form of what a person is doing, what the form a person's faith has versus in, 
intention being a more, I guess, a more powerful force behind what one is performing, like even in the case of, of chanting, there may be, um, you know, Im imperfections in the apparent form of it or in the pursuit or lack of complete knowledge, but then there's an intention within, you know, any activity, whether it's material or spiritual, which would seem to me is, is almost, is, is, is more important than the external, externals of what are being performed. Well, I'm not clear on even, you know, it's just some thoughts that have arisen in there. I might talk about intention a little bit. So you're saying someone may not have proper understanding, but they have the right intention. Some of them may have the right understanding, but have the wrong intention. So it's better to have the right intention, even if you have the wrong understanding, than to have the right understanding and the wrong intention. Um, sometimes people approach the wrong person for the right thing or the right person for the wrong thing. Like Gobindadas approached Durga and for the right thing. She said, you know, I don't have it, but I'll tell you where you can get it. Go to Govinda and that song by Johure Manas Srinandanandana Avai Charanada Vindure was a result of that. Nice song about Krishna. In Brihad Bhagavatamrita we have a similar example. Approaching Durga, being sent to, to Krishna. So, that intention... That has something to do with Sukriti. Over lifetimes, this Sukriti may, will, will accumulate and, and enable us to have the right intention or the right way of thinking about a thing, even if we don't know all the details and, and so forth. And so we may find sometimes like that someone is more knowledgeable and understanding, but another person has, we might say, a better heart about it. So yes, that's much more valuable and important. And where does that intention really come from? It, it really comes from opportunities that come in our life for purification that we knowingly or unknowingly take advantage of. After all, this is not, it really, it's really not an, an, an intellectual affair at all. It's very, it's difficult to convey that and have it understood because we're, we're speaking and we're using our intelligence and we're asked to use our intelligence, lo, intelligence and logic and and so forth. I, I mean, I try to speak in a logical way and explain these things, but what's the real transaction has little to do with that at all. It's the intention, for that matter, of the speaker and the condition of his or her heart that's all important. And even if he, he or she can't make a stimulating, intellectually stimulating presentation, but the speaker's heart is in the right place. There will be more, better result, more result for the listeners than someone whose heart is not in the right place but has, has got the theory and, and can, can explain it in a, in a logical way. That will arrest our intelligence for a while, but it won't, it won't have the effect to change our life, to propel us towards, towards practice and, and uh, all that is important for us to be ultimately an experiencer. So that's the way I want to talk about intention, to have the right intention. That's extremely valuable. And that's why I'm saying that can only come through a spiritual transaction. 
you may have had or he or she may have had in a previous life good company. It's the result of good company. And someone may not have had as good a company. But be more intelligent in this life to understand the theory better. Yes? I was just listening to the lecture couple was speaking about that. He was talking about Kajendra. The L, uh, and mm. he said, Prahlad was praying that uh, I have no qualification to offer any prayers because I'm just a child and all the demigods, they've already tried and what am I going to say? But then he said, but Gajendra, he was an elephant, but the way Prabhupada said, Gajendra, he may have been big fatty animal. <laughs> <laughs> but still, because he had sincerity in his heart, the Lord accepted his prayers. I mean, what can an elephant say, really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> they say they never forget. I guess that yeah, was his good fortune. Tayu, he was a bird. Hanuman mm. was a monkey. So it's not important, he was saying. Your external picture is your heart. What's important with regard to intelligence is that you don't let it get the best of you. This is a very deceptive thing, the intellect, because, again, we think that we arrive at knowing by some type of intellectual exercise, and we can very much deceive ourselves, especially in the spiritual context by gathering up theory and regurgitating it and other people thinking, oh, see, he knows something. But we, we may become more proud than, than anything else. So it's very subtle. How to make spiritual progress is a very subtle affair because, again, you have to use your intellect to whatever extent you have it, but you can't place a lot of value in it. It's a kind of, you've got it, so now you're burdened with having to use it. And, and we all have to use it, but those who have more have a greater burden in one sense. Anything else? Uh, yes. Uh, you were, I was trying to go back to the other two years. I'm not understanding this. It's like, but you made a uh, point about uh, talking about the low verses. Mm. And, uh, and it, that verse in Shopanishad came to my mind. This Tadveda Vayam Saha, Vididam, Vitam Kirtba, Vididam, Vitam Pashpateda. One should study both the process of knowledge and nation side by side, and, and there to get perfection there. I wonder if you could comment in, in that regard versus the high verses versus the low verses versus because you were also hinting at the highest aspirations of, of our Gaudiya Vaishnava line as well. So for our own study and practice, you know, how should we gauge our study, high versus low versus, you know, you know what, what does it mean, the nations and, you know, and... Oh, uh, I mean, many things, but if you, if you, in context of what we're talking about and what you're bringing it up, you can say that it means to, to study what Krishna consciousness is not, as well as what Krishna consciousness is. And, and so there, in the lower stages, there may be uh, it, it may be more valuable to emphasize what Krishna consciousness is not more than what Krishna consciousness is. Because in one sense, as much as we emphasize what Krishna consciousness is, it will never be known until it's experienced. It has to be experienced. And it, as much as we know what it's not, then we can avoid things that will will deter us or get in our way of doing that which will bring us a genuine understanding of what it is. So too much talk about what it is, let's say for example, you want to speak higher versus or lower versus, what is the Leela of Krishna? 
too much talk about that, can result in an intellectual sleight of hand that uh, wherein we, we think we've gone somewhere that we've, we, when we've, 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 we've not gone anywhere. We may know something more about the, uh, the Leela or even, even about the process, but do we practice? And, uh, and do we avoid the things that we, we shouldn't do? And many people may talk about higher topics, but they may not be very high. And so then one may question the value of that. One might think it might be better to address those topics that, that, that such people are not interested in hearing, that are really pertinent to their progress. You can say simply by hearing about Krishna, all these things will go away, so why should I worry about those things? But are they going away? You have to judge by the fruits. So if they're not going away, maybe then they have some emphasis on that would be important. It's like take the whole idea of ragmarg. Ragmarg means the path of love. So to follow that path in the true sense, one has to be motivated by love. It's not an intellectual affair. It's not that we decide intellectually to become rag bhakta. You may decide intellectually that's the best thing to do, but to actually tread that path, we can only do so to the extent that we actually have love, an attraction, some taste. In fact, if we have no taste, but we want to tread that, we are advised to keep the company of those people that do, in the hopes that it will wear off on us. And that's about as much as we can really tread the path. We can try to imitate them in some respects, but then again, we cannot imitate uh, in a way that's, um, that's detrimental. In a simple way, we may try to chant like they chant, and, and so forth. Chanting in their company, that will be good for us, and it will help us. So, the path of rag means the path of love. It means the motivation behind that path is love. Love is the highest motivation for serving God. In between the highest motivation and the lowest motivation, we have love as a motivation, we have duty as a motivation, we have prospect as a motivation, and we have fear as a motivation. Lowest motivation for loving God is out of fear. If I don't love God, uh-oh, there'll be a problem for me. This will happen, that'll happen. Next one, if I love God, that might be good for me. There's a prospect for me. Next level, I love God because it's the right thing to do, regardless. And even knowing that in loving God and doing something that's in conducive to love of God, it may look like it will be bad for me materially. My wife will leave me. Uh, I'll lose my job or whatever it may be. Instances may arise where it looks like this is a bad uh, the, you know, the risk outweighs the gain, but I do it anyway. It's the right thing to do. This is a very high thing. Mariada, Ram Lila. There's so many examples. Out of duty, he's doing. Ram is doing. We're shocked at that. We're mortified. Above that is the, is love. This is the ragmark. Now, you want to tread the ragmark. That's good. But now you have to think: how much actually of your motivation? For even pursuing that is based on fear that if I don't do it, there'll be a problem for me. Now you go and find all the sadhakas and you show me who has no fear whatsoever that if I don't do this, it'll be a problem. That I'm getting up because I better do this, otherwise there'll be a problem. I get up early in the morning or I'm going to chant today because if I don't. You understand? So you have to really be honest and see. And to the extent that we find it's fear or prospect, that are motivating us. Then we have to hear about some lower things. <laughs> we have to concentrate on some of those lower things. 
Because that will motivate us. We have to feel, we have to hear about, oh, if you don't do this, this, this will be a problem. You'll get this karma or this or a problem and you, this will be an offense and so forth. You better hear about this because that will, what will that do? That will motivate your practice. And if you practice and you have this an ideal, the path of love, have an, as an ideal, then that attraction for that will start to come. We should all have, we all, we, the Gaudi Vaishnava means ragmark, so we are all followers of ragmark. But we follow without ruchi, ajato ruchi, ragunuga bhakti. If we don't have ruchi, it's all about ruchi. It's all about taste. It's, it, means, it means beyond nishta, beyond intellect. It's not about intellect. It's not about reason. Something coming from that side now, from the other side, and it's in me, that's driving me. And as I pursue that, I become attached in a particular way to that. That's asakti. Then one leaves the, the, the practitioner stage and enters into bhava bhakti, the world of emotion. That emotion is cultivated in bhajan and develops that ray of the sun of prema that is bhava turns into the sun and one develops love. So before ruchi, if one wants to tread the path of rag, which is all about ruchi, then he's in a generously called Ajato Ruchi, Raghunuga Sadaka, a practitioner of the Ragmarg, the path of love, who hasn't got any real taste for it. That has not developed yet. So such a person practices all the rules, all the regulations very carefully, but this is his objective. He has a clear idea, theoretically. This is my objective. This is my ideal. I want to go there. I want to attain Vrindavan, Bhakti, Braj Bhakti. And depending on your guru, you may get advice. Even in a general sense, in the beginning stage, you should think of it like this. You will serve there in this way, in a general sense. No harm. In a general sense. Now do all those things, whatever they may be, that will, in, will, will inspire you, however, out of fear, out of whatever, to practice to chant, to concentrate on chanting without offense. That means offenses give rise to, and chanting gives rise to all unwanted things in our life, of, a, of a, the life of a practitioner. So then how to do that? And that's why a certain number of rounds is given. That means you avoid laziness, apathy, and distraction, these things all get in the way of our chanting purely. So laziness means I have give, I've been given by my Gurudev a certain prescribed amount of uh, chanting to do. So I will overcome offensiveness with regard to laziness. It's also called, in a general sense, inattentive chanting. I will overcome that inattentive chanting by not being lazy and doing the prescribed number. And then I, if I have opportunity to sit in a company of sadhus and chant who have feeling and seek their company I seek that company that will help me to chant inoffensively or attentively and then the shape distraction oh then you have to do certain things you have to chant in a quiet place and you have to push yourself a little bit to concentrate on offensive off trying to chant without offense try to, I should say try to chant attentively that will send all, all offense even if you even if you are chanting Avoiding all offenses, but you're inattentive. You will not get love of God, Bahujanma, for many lifetimes. 
So this should be focused on. So that's, uh, you know, who wants to hear about, you know, this? You want to hear, everyone to hear about secrets of Krishna's Leela? That's good too, but... <laughs> but what, it, what that really is, and to have your own, know your own secrets, to have some secret revealed to you, it will require you chant without offense. The Leela of Krishna is a meditative reality. You cannot meditate without a pure heart. It's not possible. That's why you get up. <laughs> you've got something to do. Pure heart means you've got desires. So you're up. You can't, you can't sit still. I know I've been keeping you sitting here still for quite a while. We should stop with that, I think. Jai. Sri Krishna Bhagavan ki jai. Krishna Nam ki jai. Jai Sikhi Bhakti Vrant Swami Prabhupada ki jai. Bhakti Rakshak Siddhartha Goswami Maharaj ki jai. Sri Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasati Thakur Prabhupada ki jai. Gaur Bhakta Binda ki jai. Gaur Premanandi. Ribu. Bhakti Vrant Chaparada Swami Shri Guru Maharaj ki jai.